Good morning. Thank you for that big welcome. Um, today is a big day at Canyon Hills Friends Church because as the children's pastor here, it is the first time that I've gotten to bring God's word to you adults who ask barely any questions compared to your children. And just to get the ground rules straight here, you do not need to raise your hand to use the restroom. But if you do talk to one another, I will ask you to move, just like I ask your kids to move. Um, and if you know your memory verse at the end of the service, I will give you a marble to put in the marble maze, just like I give your kids. Um, today is a big day at Canyon Hills Friends Church, meaning that we all are a little bit bigger. Our clothes fit a little bit tighter after the Thanksgiving meal. Today is a big day at Canyon Hills Friends Church because it's the day that you get to decide if there is a little bit more Shirley or Larry in this sherry. Um, today is a big day at Canyon Hills Friends Church because of after 32 years of being a sermon illustration from any stage, any conference, any pulpit that my dad preached behind, it is the day of payback. Today is a big day. I have so many great stories to share with you. I just don't even know where to start. I'm excited. Um, so I'll start with this one. When my dad asked me to teach, I was really pumped and I was all excited because I had all these sermon illustrations running through my head of things that happened when I was a child. So I said, do I get to pick what I teach on? Because I could really do some good here. Um, and he said, oh, you're going to teach on family mercy. And I go, there goes all my good stuff. If I had to teach of how to be merciful on the family, how do I share my good stories? So have you ever noticed this? You are in a knockout, drag out fight in your house with your teenagers, with your spouse, with your parents. Knockout, drag out fight at the top of your lungs and then the phone rings. Everybody goes silent and you go to pick it up and you go, hello? In your nicest, cheeriest voice. For some reason, I don't know why, have you ever noticed that we can be completely calm, polite, merciful, and gracious with absolute strangers but when it comes to holding in your anger at home, withholding in what's building up inside of you at home, we just can't do it. We often give our family, who we are with the most, the most unmerciful, ungracious versions of ourself. So just in case you don't think we need to take a quiz or a talk about family mercy yet, we are going to take a quiz up on the screen. So on the top of your outline, it has question one, two, three, and four, and I want you to actually take this quiz. Don't cheat. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your spouse. Um, but here's the first question. When my family member or another family member gets some detail wrong while telling a story, do I A, interrupt them publicly and correct them? Or do I B, say nothing and let it go, knowing that I've made that same mistake? So this is when you write it down on your paper. Question number two. When my family member, spouse, sibling, brother, sister keeps making the same mistake over and over and over, do I A, become irritated and angry at them? Or B, graciously forgive them and pray for them? We're two for two now, right? We're doing really good. So question number three, when my family member, spouse, sibling, brother, sister is getting more attention than I think they deserve to, do I A, feel resentful and feel, the, and feel the need to bring them down a notch, you know, or B, celebrate with them, which is the merciful thing to do? Question number four, 
of how are we at showing mercy to our families when my spouse or siblings or another family member does something that I don't understand, meaning you might see what they do, but you don't understand why they did it, do you A, assume they have the best motivation for doing it, or B, question their motivation and think the worst? And the last question is a little bit more rhetorical. Are you more polite with strangers or with your own family? Think about how you got to church this morning. What was said in the car before you hit the pavement, and then who were you guys when you walked down those stairs into the courtyard? Think about yourselves in the grocery line. Think about yourselves at Disneyland. Think at yourselves in the car. How are you on the road? Are you more polite with strangers than you are with your family? And the answers to these questions, as I was even looking at them in my own life, is this is the reason why we need to talk about family mercy. Because families are rough. We've been talking about mercy for six weeks now in very broad terms, but this is bringing it home. This is making it applicable to our lives. And mercy in action form, in applicable form in our lives is love. Mercy in action form is love. But to love someone as the Bible says, not to love someone like Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift says, that's very different. Not to love someone like all the Hallmark Christmas romance movies that I've been watching all week say, because that's different than biblical love. Not follow a lifetime love and not, oh my goodness, I'm so excited because Gilmore Girls is now on Netflix love. None of those loves. This is biblical love. Biblical love has true marks of mercy in it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says God, or in these verses, God gives us 15 characteristics of real mercy, 15 things that we can have actions and do to our family. Now, I'm not going to go over all 15. I'm not allowed to preach that long, but I'm going to go over four, four things that we can physically do as a family that I know that I struggle with, and I'm pretty sure we all struggle with in our families, but let's read all 15 to start out. If you'd read the scripture with me, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So I'm going to read it one more time just so it sinks in a little bit more of what This true biblical love that has true marks of mercy in it means. Love is patient. So anytime you are being impatient, you are being unloving. Love is kind. Anytime I am being unkind, I am being unloving. Love does not envy. In other words, you don't want what somebody else has. Love is not boastful or proud. When I am prideful, I am not full of love. It does not dishonor others. Anytime I am being rude, I am not being loving. Love is not self-seeking. It's not about me first. It's not self-centered. It's about focusing on the other person. And it's not just I love you, period. It's I love you in spite of yourself. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You don't manipulate people when you are in love. Love is always protecting. Love always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. Love is mercy in action. So today we're going to look at four concepts of what we can actively do to our family to bring God's mercy that we receive every day into our homes. So number one, by overlooking irritations and offenses. 
And that means completely overlooking, ignoring 100%. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, love is not easily angered. Love does not get angry easily. And I'm not talking about we're not allowed to get angry when it's the big things, the injustices, because God gets angry at those things. I'm talking about love does not get angered easily when it comes to the nitpicky, you keep leaving your socks on the floor kind of things. I'm talking about we keep leaving the front door open, or we don't lock this, or we don't turn off this light, or you put the dishes in the wrong side of the sink kind of angry. I'm talking about the little tiny things that affect our families, our marriages, that makes us either blow up or clam up because it makes you one of two things. It makes you a skunk or a turtle when we get angry at things that we should not be getting angry at. And yes, I said skunk or a turtle. Um, So let me tell you what each one of us is. I bet you can guess. So a skunk, when a skunk is upset, everybody knows a skunk is upset. You don't even have to get close to the skunk for you to know that the skunk is upset. A skunk runs the party. I mean, a skunk stinks, and you know it. So if you are a skunk, that means if you are angry about an itty-bitty, teeny-tiny thing, the world is affected. Some of you are skunks, but some of you are turtles. Turtles is the far other opposite. The turtles clam up. Something happens, they're really angry, but they just stuff it inside their little tiny shell and keep slowly moving along. But then you try to ask a turtle what's wrong. Oh, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, I'm good. But you can tell something's wrong with a turtle. And then their shell just gets fuller and fuller and fuller, but nothing ever happens. And then eventually a turtle could become a skunk, I guess, if their shell blows up. But you are either a skunk or a turtle. When you get angry about these little itty-bitty things, but God says love is not easily angered. So what's the antidote for this? If we either blow up or clam up, what do we do? We turn to the Bible. God's love and mercy. In Proverbs 17, 9, it says, whoever fosters love covers an offense, but whoever repeats it separates even close friends. And a paraphrase, I really like how it says it. It says, love forgets mistakes nagging about them even separates close friends. So these easy little things that we should not be getting angry at because love is not easily angered causes us to blow up or clam up when we really should be letting them go because the love covers all. Because love forgets mistakes. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. If you overlook those itty-bitty tiny things, it is to your glory. The Bible says it. It's right there. It is. It is your glory. It means it's a sign of spiritual maturity. If we're getting upset at all these little teeny tiny things and blowing up or clamming up consistently, we've got some work to do on ourselves. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. Love covers the little mistakes. As a child, we went on two-week camping vacations um, in Northern California at Lake Trinity. Um, Five Mendenhalls, no family, no friends. We were all just stuck together. And we were in a boat all day on the lake, and we were in a teeny tiny tent all night. So five Mendenhalls together, 14 days. And of course, we were the perfect children. We never fought. We never got so angry that we jumped out of the boat and swam to shore or tried to swim to shore on our own in the middle of the lake. We never got so angry that we would spit when the boat was going 35 miles an hour to see who it hit behind us. 
Um, we never got so angry that we would throw fishies or fruit snacks at the person water skiing just to see if they could either dodge or catch it in their mouths. And one year, we were so on our game of being the perfect children that my parents decided that love was not covering all of our little mistakes and that we were not letting go of these little easy irritations. And so they decided to make us memorize a verse. And we did not just memorize the verse, we had to recite it on command. And we ended up having to recite this verse on command before dinner and after dinner and during dinner and before bed and after bed. And if we said anything in the middle of the night, we had to recite it again. So this was our verse. Are you guys ready? 1 Thessalonians 5.15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. The Message Bible paraphrases it like this. Be careful when you get on each other's nerves. You don't snap at each other, which is what we were doing. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. This verse saved our vacation and probably saved my parents from us on our vacation. But what could this verse do if we all memorized it to the point where we could recite it on command and constantly think of this and the fact that love covers irritations and offenses and that mercy covers it and not let ourselves get bogged down to become a skunk or a turtle to either blow up or clam up at the little teeny tiny things in our lives. That is the first way you can show mercy to your family. The second way we can show mercies to our family is being kind when they don't deserve it, but when they need it. Everybody just had a big family dinner or had something where they either you choose them to come over because you choose your family or they just come over because they are your family. So I want you to think about those people around your dinner table. I want you to think about who comes around when you think of family. And every single family has a VDP. A VDP. Don't look around right now because you don't want them to think that it's you. A VDP is a very draining person. Every family has one. I'm not going to tell you who mine is, but every family has one. And some of you were just with this person. This person is often irritating. They are draining. They take up a lot of your time. Sometimes they talk too much. Sometimes they're aggressive. Sometimes they're destructive. Sometimes they're just the person in your life you cannot count on for anything. But the main point is that when you are around this person, and after you leave this person, you just feel like the life has been sucked out of you. Does every family have a VDP? Maybe. At least at work, you have a VDP. There is a VDP in your life. But how do we deal with these kinds of people? How do you deal with them in your family when we're supposed to be merciful to our family? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, and love is always supportive. Are we always kind? Are we always supportive, even to our very draining people? The key is, is this. You have to make sure you know how they tick. You have to look past the anger. You have to look past the attitude when they come home. You have to look past the motivation that they have to live and figure out why they're that way. If you were having the best day of your life, you got a raise, you got the job you want, or you got to quit the job that you don't want, if you were having the best day of your life, you never go home and hurt your family. You only go home in a bad attitude and end up hurting someone when you're hurting. Hurt people hurt people. Happy people don't hurt people. 
So you've got to figure out what is going on in the background, in the life of your VDP, to be able to love them mercifully as Christ loves us mercifully. I have a super cute toddler. I don't know if you've seen him. He walks around like this. Um, He's got a lot of hair, almost as much as I do, and he's probably the porkiest kid here. Um, He's 17 months old, and his name is Bruce, and he's learning something new every day. He's at that really cute stage where every day there's a new word, and he's now trying to stab things with his fork, and it's really cute. But every mealtime, when I am feeding him and I end up covered in bananas and apple juice, I do not yell at him or get frustrated with him for not knowing how to cut his food properly and not make a mess because he's a toddler. I, when I think of my toddler, I think of, oh my goodness, look how far you've come because you're this itsy bitsy little thing. Well, he was never itsy bitsy to be true and honest, but he was this big little thing in my arms. And look, he can walk now and he can toddle now and he's starting to run and he's starting to run so fast that he face plants. He's this cute little toddler. And I don't think about, oh my goodness, you don't know your ABCs yet. You've got so far to go. I think of, look how far he's come. And that's what we need to ask ourselves. That's what we need to look at when we're looking at that very draining person in our life. We need to figure out what their past was, what their hurt is, why are they so draining, and then go, look how far they've come. Not where do they have to go still, but look what God has done so far. Look where they are now. We need to give our VDPs our kindness when they need it, not when they deserve it. And that is called mercy. Proverbs 327 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is your power to do it. It doesn't say do good to people when they deserve it. It says when you have the power to do it, do good to others. Show others kindness. And most of the time, we always have the power to not let our mood be affected by our VDPs. We have the power to be kind to them when they need it most. And isn't that just what God does for us? We don't deserve the mercy. We don't deserve all of our sins wiped away. He gives it to us when we need it, not because we deserve it. And that is the second way that you can show mercy to your family, giving them kindness when they need it but don't deserve it. And the third way... This one hits home a little close to me. The third one is hard. Letting go of past hurts. By letting go of past hurts, you can show love in action, mercy to your family. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, love keeps no record of wrong. Do you do that? You don't have to raise your hand because I know we all do, but do you do that? Do you keep the list in your head of they've done this and they've done this and they've done this and then the next time you have an argument, you get to use it as ammo like pew, 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 I won. We know we do it. It's okay. Love does not keep a list. Mercy does not keep a list. And thank the Lord that he does not keep a list. Because he would have a big one for us. The scripture says that love does not keep a record of our wrongs. Absolutely does not. I heard a story of two guys talking at work. And they were talking about their, not, their nights beforehand. And this one guy says, oh my goodness, my wife was going all historical on me. She was just screaming and screaming and I just couldn't take it anymore. And the other guy says, wait, wait, wait. You mean hysterical? 
And the guy's like, no, I mean historical. She said every single thing I'd done wrong since we got married in a row, in order. And I thought this was really funny. Like, I was like, yes, I found my joke for my sermon. I was super proud. And so I go home and I wait for BJ to get home from work and BJ is my husband and I'm so proud of this joke that I found for my sermon. So I tell him the joke and he's just kind of silent. And I go, what, you didn't like it? And then this little smirk comes onto his face and he goes, well, it's just not as funny when it's true. (laughs) And this sermon has been super convicting because love does not keep a list, but often we do. So delete it, don't repeat it. And that is going to be the hardest thing that you take away from this sermon because we do it all the time. Delete it, don't repeat it. Because when you repeat it, when you keep a list, you are not being loving and you are not showing the very mercy to your family that God shows to us. This means three things. You don't rehearse it over and over in your head. You don't have the argument before you have the argument in your head, and you don't have the argument after you have the argument in your head. You do not rehearse it saying, she said, I should say, he said, then I could say, you don't rehearse it. Number two, you do not keep bringing it back up. You delete it, you don't repeat it, because that is harmful and that creates resentment. And number three, you don't tell others about it because that's just gossip. That's a whole sermon series on itself, but that is just gossip. So you don't rehearse it, you don't keep bringing it back up, and you don't repeat it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. That's the third way to love your family and to show them God's mercy in action. The fourth way to show your mercy family to your mercy to your family in action is by believing God is at work. Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we don't know what's happening, but believing that God is at work. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to find a biblical example of a healthy family? I looked. It was very, very difficult. There is not a family that I would call healthy in the Bible that I can just show to you as an example of how we all need to be. It is a lot easier to find families full of sin, full of killing, full of deceit in the Bible. There's a lot of pain and not a lot of harmony. Let's just take the first book of Genesis as an example. The first recorded husband and wife disobey God in Genesis 3, bringing sin into the world. Their firstborn had lots of other people killed. Sarah's grief over her infertility moved her to give a concubine to her husband. And once they had a child together, then she started abusing them because they were so mad. And then Isaac and Rebecca played favorites with their twin boys, causing one of the largest sibling rivalries still recorded to this date in history. And we're not even to Genesis chapter 25 yet. And those are some awful family situations. There are no Harmonious examples of families in the Bible, but why is that? I think it is for a completely larger purpose. Family allows us to become aware of God's plan in our lives. Family, the mess that it is, the struggle that family is, because it is not easy. We all just had Thanksgiving. We're about to have Christmas. Family is messy. 
It allows us to become aware of God's plan. The Bible's main plan, the big God story, like I talk about with our kids, is his merciful plan to redeem us needy sinners. And our family, our mess, is a place that draws that out. It's a place that helps us to become overwhelmingly aware that we cannot do this without him. It's a place that brings us to our knees daily because we realize we can't do it alone because it is that much of a struggle. There are four ways he makes us aware that we need him through our family. Number one is our sinfulness. If you've ever been around kids, even when you were kids, had brothers and sisters, you guys are pointing out each other's sin all the time, right? It's he told a lie, that's not true. She didn't do her homework. Her socks are still upstairs. They didn't do their laundry. They shoved all their clothes in their closet. Kids, point out your sin. Family makes us aware of our sinfulness. Number two, Family makes us aware of our powerlessness. How do we have enough money? How do we get the right insurance? Where do we send our kids to school? What do we do when there's a health emergency in our family? How do I protect my kids from hearing all of this political discussion that's happening? How do I keep my daughter from wearing that? How do I do this? How do I protect and control and save? The fact is we can't. Family allows us to realize our powerlessness Number three, family allows us to need to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Family brings us to our knees, to where we look up, to where we realize we need a merciful, loving, forgiving God. And number four, family brings us to the awareness of that we need to mercifully love one another. Because we come to the awareness of how much God loves us. We realize how much God has given mercy to us and how much sinners we are. And it brings us to the point where we realize I've received so much mercy that I need to give this mercy back to my family in the ways that I've received it. It turns out that there is no better place to realize how much we need God than our own families, than the own mess that we are caught up in. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says love always protects, it always trusts. And it doesn't mean it always trusts other people. I think that's assumed a lot when we read the great love verse out of the Bible. But it means we always trust God. So believing that God is at work in your family, believing that God is taking care of the mess. And we do that by lifting it up to him in prayer. It's a really simple test. How often do you pray about it? How often do you pray about your family? How often do you pray for your spouse, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, your parents? Because when we pray, we are giving our trust to the Lord. Psalms 28.2 says, Lord, hear my cry for mercy when I call out to you for help. When I lift my hands towards the most highly place. When we give it up to him, when we pray for him, he is working in our lives, in our families. I don't know what everybody is going through right now. It is impossible to know. But I know in my family, right now, growing up, future, the struggle is real. Family is tough. And these four things are going to be tough to do. They're not easy, but none of these things that I've talked about doing this morning are not things that we have received from the Lord ourselves. Lamentations 3.20 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's mercy, God's love in action to us is our hope. These four actions of mercy, loving our family that we've talked about today, are only what we receive from the Father daily. God is kind, overlooks and forgives your mistakes every single day. Number two, God was kind to you when you needed it, not when we deserved it. God wipes out and forgets all of the things we've done wrong. He deletes it and repeats it every single day. And God is working in your life even when you don't feel it. All four things God is giving to us every single day is some mercy that we can give to our family, actions that we can give to our family because we are so thankful for the mercy that he gives to us. If you could just bow your heads with me as I close. Um, today as I pray, if you would like to make today a day where you, where you just say, God, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to give God this mercy. I'm gonna try to give my family the mercy that you give me. If you could just pray after me in your hearts. And if this is a day this Thanksgiving weekend where you wanna say, I wanna stand for my family and I wanna make a physical choice to stand up and to know that I am gonna start doing these actions of mercy to my family today. As I pray with all the heads bowed, I just ask you to stand where you are and make that physical commitment and that physical choice. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I need your mercy. I can't be merciful to others, to my family and my own power. I need you to be merciful for me Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you overlook and forgive all of my offenses, my sins by your mercy. Thank you, God, that you are kind to me when I need it and not when I deserve it. Thank you, Jesus, that you wiped out all of my past sins when I put my trust in you and what you did to pay for my sins. Thank you so much. I want to accept your grace today. I want to accept your mercy today. Thank you that you've been working in my life and my family's when I didn't know it. We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen.